welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meidinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we are beginning again in a series that has repeated a couple of times on the podcast. This series is called Do You See This Woman? And it's a series that we have revisited a couple of times as we have looked at different women throughout the scriptures and their interactions with Jesus. The first time we did this series, we looked at the woman who anoints Jesus' feet from Luke chapter 7. That is where the title for this series came from because Jesus asks the Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, he asks him, do you see this woman? And so that's where the title for this podcast series came from. We also looked at Eve, the woman at the well, and Jochebed, who is Moses's mother. And then the second time we revisited this series was last Christmas, like during Advent, I think. And we looked at three women from the Old Testament, two of them who are were part of Jesus's lineage. And so we looked at Leah, who's part of Jesus's lineage, Judah, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, and Judah is one of Leah's sons. We looked at Hagar, who is not part of Jesus's lineage, but I love her story in Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21 and her story of meeting the God who sees her. And then we also looked at Rahab, who is also in Jesus's lineage. So those are the women we have studied so far throughout this series. And actually, it was at the request of my daughter who listens to my podcast. She said, Mom, when are you going to podcast on more women from the Bible. When are you going to do the Do You See This Woman series again? She just said that maybe like a week ago. And I was like, okay, we can revisit that. There are several books of the Bible that I want to also do another book study on. But when your 17-year-old daughter requests that you do more podcasting on women in the Bible, you take time to do it. And I do love, I absolutely love these dear women So this time we're going to look at three women, probably, in three different episodes. All of them are unnamed women in the Gospels, and all of them have encounters with Jesus that are surprising and beautiful. The first woman we're going to look at today is the woman who is hemorrhaging. We're going to use Mark chapter 5 as our text for that. The second woman we're going to look at in the next episode is going to be the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And the third one is going to be the Syrophoenician woman who has great and bold faith as she speaks to Jesus. And that is recorded in Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7. So I'm excited to look at these three women and see what we can learn from their encounters with Christ. As we look at the woman who was hemorrhaging, the woman who was bleeding, we are going to be in Mark chapter 5, and this story is sandwiched into an account where Jairus, a synagogue leader, is desperately coming to Jesus because his daughter is ill. And in the midst of the story of Jairus, we have this brave, wonderful woman who interrupts Jesus. She's so brave to interrupt him on a very important journey as he is going to Jairus's house to heal his daughter. 
and this woman is brave and bold and interrupts him. And so it's sandwiched into Jairus's daughter's story. And so we're going to take the whole thing. We're going to look at the woman who was hemorrhaging as well as Jairus and his daughter. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And I will read in Jesus' name. When Jesus had crossed again in a boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He asked him urgently, My little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now a woman was there who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years. She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. For she kept saying, If only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. At once the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. When the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue leader, where he saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They began to make fun of him. But he forced them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Then, gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was twelve years old. They were completely astonished at this. He strictly ordered that no one should know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so that was Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We will now go through it again and talk about each verse as we go through. So first of all, where is Jesus? At the beginning of this text, at verse 21, it says he had crossed again in a boat to the other side. He had been over in the region of the Gerasenes, which is in the Decapolis on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, on the other side of the Jordan River, east of the Jordan River. So it was a Gentile region. He now is crossing back over onto, the, he's crossing through the Sea of Galilee, but also to the west side of the Jordan River into the Galilee region, which is Israel. 
And that's why at the end of the story, he doesn't want anyone to know what he had done because usually when he performed miracles in the Galilee or in the region of Israelites rather than Gentiles, he did try to keep his identity unknown for a while during his ministry because it wasn't time yet for him to be declared king. And so he did often try to keep his identity kind of on the down low. So he is back in Israel. He is in the in the region of Galilee. And one of the synagogue leaders comes and begs him, my daughter is dying, please come and heal her. A synagogue leader is highly respected. He might be wealthy, but he is considered to be an important part in the community, an important person in the community. And so when his daughter is near death, the crowds at large are going to gather around and see this as a very worthwhile mission that Jesus is on. Nobody should interrupt this mission because Jairus matters. He's a leader in the community. His daughter matters. So no one should interrupt this because this is important. But there was a dear woman there who nobody else considered to be important or precious or valuable necessarily, but she, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, she knew that she had value and that she was worth taking time for. So in verse 25, we learn that there was a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. So possibly a uterine rupture or a menstrual disorder. But for 12 years, she had suffered bleeding. I can't even imagine how incredibly painful that is to anyone who's listening to this podcast who knows just what regular menstrual cramps might be, but this is probably times a million, the pain she has gone through. And then just, so the physical pain, but there's so much additional pain that goes along with this suffering. In her culture, she would have been considered ritually unclean women were when they had their period and that was just a normal part of life and they went through the cleansing process and then after that they got back into their normal routine it was just part of the rhythm of their life and it wasn't a big deal and it was for the cleanliness of their society it made sense when those laws were given but what didn't make sense is the way that a woman who kept suffering and kept bleeding would have been treated. She would have been treated as unclean, defiled as a person. So for 12 years, not only is she is in immense physical pain, but equally or more so would have been her pain emotionally and socially and spiritually as she went through tremendous loss of friendship and belonging and community. She could have even lost her family. It wouldn't have been accepted for her to be cooking for her family or really even caring for her family. She couldn't have had intimate relationships if she was married. She couldn't have had an intimate relationship with her husband during this time unless he also became unclean and then he wouldn't have been accepted in society. And so the ramifications of this on a social level were significant and the way that a person was treated when they were unclean was very devastating 
And of course, that was not part of the cleanliness laws. It's just simply the way that society ended up treating people who were chronically unclean. They were treated as, a, as defiled people. So her pain is physical, certainly, but also mental, emotional, social, spiritual. And then in verse 26, we learn that her suffering is also financial suffering. Verse 26 tells us she had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. She had sought help. She had not stopped trying to find help. And yet, rather than getting any better, the text says she just kept getting worse for 12 years, more than a decade. So let's just say, we don't know how old this woman is, but let's say this started when she was 20. She's in her 30s by the time she's healed. That's over a decade of her life. If she's 30 when this onsets, she's in her 40s when this heals. Like these are vital, important, valuable years of her life. And she is sick throughout them. And because of the societal, her societal status, she is not only ill, but she is also becoming devalued in society. But she'd been hearing about Jesus. She had been hearing about Jesus. And we learn in other places, even prior to this, that people who had been just touching Jesus in the great crowds that surrounded, Je that surrounded Jesus, when people just touched him, they became healed by the multitudes. Many, many people were becoming healed just by touching Jesus. Like in Mark chapter 3, for example, we find out that uh, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For he had healed many, so that all who were afflicted with diseases pressed toward him in order to touch him. People are pressing in to touch Jesus to be healed, and that's what this woman does. She's just desperate. Now, what's so interesting about her is that she's also unclean. So in a, in a big crowd, what would have been considered fairly normal is if somebody was ritually unclean and they were going into a crowd of people, they would have to warn the people around them that I'm unclean. So they would shout out, unclean, unclean, so that the crowd around them knows that an unclean person is coming so they can step away so as to not touch the person because if you touch the person who's unclean, then you become unclean as well. Well, she did not do that. Nobody knew she was in the crowd. We're gonna find that out in a moment. She just knew, I need to get healed. I need to get healed. I need to get healed. And I just think it's amazing that somewhere deep down inside of her, she still believed, she still knew, I deserve to be healed. I am valuable. I'm worth something. I am going to press into this crowd and touch Jesus. Did she know that he was on an all-important mission to save Jairus' daughter? It seems like it would be hard for her to not know. It seems that if people were walking in this huge mob and they're all going in one direction towards the house of the synagogue leader because his daughter is dying, it seems like the gossip, or not the gossip, but like the the word in the crowd, the murmur of the crowd would be about that. And it seems that she would have to have 
heard it or realized it at some point as she's going through the crowd that, oh, Jairus' daughter, he's the synagogue leader. She's dying and Jesus is really busy and this is really important and maybe I should wait till tomorrow or at least till he's on his way back. But she doesn't. Like she just knows there he is. This is my chance. I need to get healed. Her faith and her boldness are just phenomenal to me. So she goes, she makes her way through the crowd Uh, That must have been hard (laughs) just to get through the crowd. And it says she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak for she kept saying, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She's so humble too. Like she's bold and she's brave, but she's also very humble because she she doesn't really want him to stop for her necessarily. She's like, I just want to touch his clothes. That's all I got to do. I'm just going to touch his clothes. He can keep going on his way. I just want to touch his clothes and I'll be healed. And she was, verse 29 says, at once the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. I just can't even imagine what that felt like. I know all of us have had some ailment before that you kind of gradually get over and then you realize, you kind of realize the next day or later the same day, you're like, oh, I don't feel horrible anymore. For her, it wasn't this gradual process that she just kind of realized. It was like sudden, like a sudden change in her body. She was in immense pain and bleeding, and then it was stopped. The pain and the bleeding stopped. After 12 years of this chronic pain and bleeding, I can't wrap my mind around what that's like. Some of you can. Some of you have had... Um, a miraculous healing like that where it just like you were just healed and it happened very suddenly some of you had that experience and that must just be incredible the other half of that is at the same time that she felt that she felt the healing and the pain stop Jesus at that same time in verse 30 it says Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him now that's a fascinating statement <laughs> what does that mean that he knew that power had gone out from him? Did he not release the power? Did he not decide to let the power go out from him? Or did God the Father decide and extend that power through Jesus, through God the Son? Or did does this verse indicate that he chose to and he knew it went out from him? Like he chose it and he knew it right then. I would, I would probably go with that, that Jesus knew at once, he chose and he knew at once that power had gone out and he healed her because he chose to. But he didn't yet know who it was. Now, we might say, well, he's God and he knows everything. Yes, but he's also fully man. So in his humanity, did he really need to look for this woman or did he already know who it was because he's God? I don't know. That's a mystery. But he seems rather genuine when he wants to know who touched him. I think he genuinely wants to know because in his humanity, he has chosen to lay down some of the the rights, the privileges of being God. We learn that from Philippians chapter 2, we know that he laid down, he set aside many of the privileges of divinity, of being God. 
Or does he know full well who touched him and he is giving her an opportunity to come forth? Another very, very possible option, kind of like very similar to like when God, when he was walking in the cool of the day in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and he asks Adam and Eve, where are they? He knows full well where they are. And yet he gives them the opportunity to come forth. So perhaps that's exactly what's going on here. Perhaps Jesus knows exactly who touched him and he's giving her the option to come forward. You decide. (laughs) I'm not sure. I find it a mystery. I find it a very compelling mystery. So you go ahead and chew on that. But anyway, his disciples think this is nonsense. His disciples say, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Because, of course, we've all walked through a crowd of people. Everybody's touching everybody. Verse 22, or 32. But he looked around to see who had done it. And then the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I love that statement. I think that is a powerful statement. And I I will wonder until the day I get to heaven and I get to ask this dear woman, until I get to ask her, I will wonder my whole life what that means that she told him the whole truth. Did she just simply say, oh, I touched you. It was me. Or did she tell him the whole truth? Because for 12 years, she had been put out by society. She had probably probably been considered not valuable, not worth listening to. I can't take time to spend with her because it will make me unclean if I spend time with her. I can't give her a hug. I can't even give her a high five. I'm not sure a high five was a thing back then. But was she listened to for 12 years? Or had she felt socially and emotionally neglected for 12 years. It's very likely. And so when Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And she comes forward and falls down at him and she sees in his eyes grace and kindness and love. And when she sees that he's going to stop, like he's stopping, he turned around in the crowd, he stopped and is taking time. The crowd around him is very much in a rush. Like they're in a hurry. They got to get to Jairus's house and heal Jairus's daughter. But Jesus is stopping, looking for her. And does she take this opportunity and realize he is going to let me talk? Like he's going to listen to me. He wants to hear what I have to say. And does everything from the last 12 years just pour out? Is that what the whole truth is? That's what I think. Because this dear woman is loved by God. Jesus stops in his tracks to listen to her. And I think that whether or not she intended to do this, well, we know she didn't intend to do this because she said, all I want to do is touch his clothes. So even though it was not her intention, I think that when she saw that Jesus was going to listen to her, I think everything that she wanted to say about the last 12 years came pouring out of her mouth. I think that's what the whole truth is. And I think that whether or not Mark was in the crowd 
or if Mark received this from Peter, we know that Mark and Peter were very, very close and that a lot of what Peter passed on to Mark is what Mark wrote down in his gospel account. So, or if Peter just told Mark and Mark, <laughs> this woman told Jesus everything. He, she told Jesus the whole truth about the last 12 years. I just wonder, I just wonder, did she tell him everything that had happened for 12 years? And everybody else crowded around them would have been like probably nagging on Jesus. Jesus, come on. Jesus, we got to go. Jesus, Jairus' daughter is going to die. Jesus, come on. Jesus, come on. And Jesus just stops and he listens to her. Another reason that I think that she told him the whole truth 12 years of pain and suffering is because in verse 34 he tells her to go in peace and there's no way she could have gone in peace if her soul was still in torment like yes her body was healed but if she still had nobody who had listened to her or taken time to value her or respect her or show her love and kindness she couldn't have gone from that place in peace and yet Jesus tells her, go in peace. Well, Jesus is not going to tell her to go in peace if he has not enabled her to go in peace, if he has not given her peace. And I believe that he did give her peace, and he gave that largely through showing her that she is loved and valued and cherished and listening to her and imparting his peace onto her. Another thing that is so striking about verse 34 is that he calls her daughter. This is the only time recorded in the gospel accounts of Jesus calling anybody daughter. And I find it astounding that it's here because who is he going to heal? He's healing this woman, but who's, whose daughter is he going to heal? Jairus's daughter. And Jairus's daughter is considered worth it. And that's why he's in a rush. And that's why the crowd is pressing upon him because the synagogue ruler's daughter needs to be healed. So you better get there, Jesus. She matters. She's his daughter. And Jesus is letting the crowds know through the use of this term and letting the woman know that, you know what? You're right. Jairus' daughter is very precious and she matters and I'm going to heal her. But this dear woman also matters. She is my daughter too. I love her as well. I love her equally. And I'm going to heal her also. She's my daughter. Verse 35 is another indication that makes me think some time has passed. That this woman talked and told him the whole truth for a long time. Because in verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? So I think some time has passed. She is now passed away. Verse 36, but Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. In the Greek, it would literally be, keep on believing. He already saw Jesus heal this woman, and he wants the synagogue leader to know, like, keep on believing. I can keep on healing, and you can keep on believing. 
verse 37, he didn't let anyone follow him to the house of the synagogue leader, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, they saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered and he said to them, why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They began making fun of him. But he forced them outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Then, gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. The girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, and they were completely astonished about this. Now, something that's really Another fascinating detail here is that this little girl is 12 years old and the woman who was bleeding had been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus is just letting them know, you're both my daughters. You are both my daughters. And then it says in verse 33, he strictly ordered that no one should know about this and he told them to give her something to eat, <laughs> which I just really love that detail. Just the humanity, the realness of Jesus. He's so down to earth. <laughs> Give her something to eat. Feed the child. So, dear friend, as we wrap this up, I love this woman. I find her bold and beautiful and brave and so very humble as well. And she is definitely one of the women that I cannot wait to meet for all of eternity. And I'll get to talk to her and hear her story, hear what it would be like. What was it like to push herself into that crowd? And were the people telling her to go away? Did the people around her, like had she gained a reputation as being unclean? Maybe, maybe not. Did everybody know that she was unclean? Were they making fun of her as she pressed through the crowd? What was that like for her? And what did it feel like the moment that she knew her body was healed? What did that feel like? I don't know. But what I want all of us to grasp onto today is that this woman was worth stopping for to Jesus. Jesus saw this woman as worth stopping for even though he was on a very important mission I mean everything Jesus does is very important he wants to take time to hear your story he wants to hear your whole truth now he already knows your whole truth he's God but he invites us to tell him our whole story so what is on your heart? What do you want to pour out to Jesus? What do you want to tell him? What is hurting you that you feel like nobody else has time to listen to? But perhaps Jesus will have time to listen. If that's what you're wondering, I want you to know yes and amen. Jesus has time to listen. Jesus will listen. Jesus takes time to hear your story, whether it's full of pain or suffering or sorrow or joy and celebration and rejoicing and triumph. Jesus wants to hear. Jesus wants to mourn with you and Jesus wants to celebrate with you. Jesus wants to take time to hear your story. 
And not just once every 12 years. Jesus wants you to share your story with him every day. Jesus has time to listen to you. Jesus values you. You are Jesus' daughter. You are Jesus' son. He has time for you, dear friend. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining me on the Seeking Pearls podcast. In the next episode, we will be looking at the woman who was caught in adultery. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.